the situation they got me facing. I can't live a normal life. I was raised by the shit. So I gotta be there with the hood team. Too much television watching got me chasing dreams. I'm an educated fool with money on my mind. Got my tin in my hand and a gleam in my eye. I'm a low doubt. All right, waiting for Kid Crypto. I don't know if he's coming. I haven't heard from him in a couple days. But I'm here. Took last week off for Thanksgiving for the holiday. Playing a little Coolio for y'all. You know, I played this song because I know a lot of you out there can can absolutely relate the way the the economy is, and and I'm not gonna just say it's you know it's because of Biden. It's because of all everything that's going on around the world. All politicians, both sides of the aisle in America and anywhere else in the world, people are struggling and. People reverting to 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 you know things on the street, um, and as you know, this this podcast we talk about a lot of different things, and on these spaces, but we the cornerstone, the bedrock, um, is is Bitcoin. So um, those people that are struggling, it's literally right there in their face. We talk about it. Um, so many other prominent podcasters talk about it. Um, and I know it's a small amount of people on the planet that are involved with Bitcoin right now that, you know, are even holding it compared to the population on the planet. But, um, it's such an important asset to hold, we, we believe, and not just Bitcoin, but even gold, right? Um. Just be, you know, like I said, just because the economy is, uh, it's not just the economy's weak. It's just that the way the system is set up, um, from the politicians on down, the fiat system, the devaluing of fiat currencies all around the world. Doesn't matter if it's the dollar, if it's the yen, if it's the you know, euro, if it's the pound, if it's the Chinese yuan. Um, it, 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 it's happening, you know, if it's the Brazilian real, it's all over the world. Everyone's feeling it. And it just happens, it just happened to be got, to become worse since the crisis, um, the COVID crisis. So uh, we, could talk, we could talk about that a little bit. First, just want to say, you know, um, every, anything we do and say here is not investment advice. This is just completely our opinions. And we just... We also also just tell stories when Kid Crypto's here, but um, so about four or five minutes in, looks like he's not coming. So I haven't heard from him in a couple of days. Oh, that's cool. So um, we'll get down to it. Um, touching base back on that, where uh, fiat currencies, you know, are going down around the world. Like I said, people are just feeling it, um, and the COVID crisis literally made it worse. And and I. I hate to go down a conspiracy rabbit hole, but literally, 
the central banks around the world, from, from again, from the Fed to the Bank of Japan and the Bank of England and anywhere else, they literally needed COVID to happen. They needed a crisis to happen that they could print even more money. Why? Because they wanted to create inflation. Well, why would they want to create inflation? They wanted to create inflation because since the financial crisis of 2008, interest rates have literally been zero bound all around the world. A few countries started to go negative, in including Germany, what, the, the world's third or fourth largest economy, whatever it is. They, they, they had, at one point, they had negative interest rates. The United States was close to becoming negative. If you have negative interest rates, and if they go negative and then they start to go deeply negative and stay deeply negative, that is literally the death nail for fiat currency. Your fiat currency will completely collapse. So uh, on top of they have no bullets left for when the next financial crisis happens, right? So when the financial crisis happened, interest rates were, you know, on the 10-year, the for example, um, back in 2008, were about 6%, 6.5%, right? And so the financial crisis happened. They brought all, they started QE, quantitative easing, um, and, and that QE expanded into asset purchases of all different types. And they literally artificially were able to drive down interest rates on a 10-year in America down to like one and a quarter percent. Maybe they maybe I don't know if they ever dipped below one percent, but I remember they were holding one one and a quarter percent for the longest time. So the Fed funds rate was basically zero bound. How are they going to combat the next financial crisis? They know one's going to be coming, right? It's inevitable. Um, and so that happened, that wasn't just over a short period of time, 2008, that happened over several year period from 2008 on forward, 2010, 11, 12, and they stayed near zero bound for many, many years. And here we roll into 2019, 2020, still zero bound rates, and you know all the central bankers, they get together every year and they talk probably monthly or weekly, and they were probably saying, we need, what are we going to do when there's another financial crisis happen? Because they know that there's going to be one with the debt they keep piling on all around the world. And I don't want to say they, cre they, they wanted to create COVID and they wanted to kill millions of people. Of course not. But it was awfully convenient for them. And so they printed more money, and they know if they continue to print money, eventually inflation is going to happen. And I believe by with COVID, they went crazy printing money and they locked down the economy and they started to give people all around the world money. And then when they open the economy back up, people are flush with cash. What are they going to do? They're going to spend it. Therefore, they fast forwarded inflation, which was bound to come, but they, fa they, they pushed it forward several years for sure. Uh, and people went out, started spending it. Boom, here we are later, uh, you know, Several years later, inflation starts to spike in America and much higher in other parts of the world. So the, the, the central banks have to raise rates to try to slow the economy down, to slow the inflation down. And now we have a Fed funds rate, you know, of, you know, four and a half, five percent. So we have now the Fed and all the central banks around the world have bullets for when the next financial crisis happens where they can start to lower 
the Fed funds rates again. So, like I said, awfully convenient. Um, with that, you know, I just wanted to to to, to um, also talk about what's called the euro dollar. So, um, I I don't even know if kid kid crypto knows this, and I I wish it was here tonight, but. Um, so I've done I've been doing a lot of research on this stuff and I'm not sure if you guys are aware but okay so let me start how do how do I explain it so the US economy is 22 trillion 23 trillion dollars something like that we've got 30 whatever it is 34 trillion of debt Global economy, according to the IMF, is going to be $105 trillion this year by the end of this year. We're pretty much at the end of the year. So they have a pretty good grasp on what the global economy is going to be, $105 trillion. Now, the U.S. dollar is the world's reserve currency. Well, what does that mean? That means most transactions around the world are denominated in dollars um, from oil to, you know, to, to many other parts of other transactions. It doesn't mean every single transaction is denominated in dollars, but it is the world's reserve currency, right? Then there's no debating that. So you have to ask yourself, okay, well, how many dollars are out there? So in the U.S., even though our economy is 22, 23 trillion, there is 2.3 trillion dollars in the United States. And, you know, it gets spent, the dollar's they get cycled, right? So they get spent many times over. Um, if, if I put $100 in a bank, the bank takes $10 by law, puts it aside. They take the other $90 and they do what they have to do with it. They lend it out. They invest it, whatever. Now, let's say they lend it out and Joe Schmo comes and he borrows $100 or let's just say $90 from the bank. They take my 90 that is supposed to be mine. They lend it out to Joe Schmo. Joe Schmo, maybe he takes a line of credit, whatever he does with it, starts a business. Um, some of that $90, he may even put in another bank account somewhere. Then they take, let's say let's say he puts $50 or 40, $50 in a bank account somewhere else and he's using $40 as an investment because he's going to tap the 50 later. He puts the 50 in another bank. That bank then takes... 45, they put $5 aside, they take 45, they do whatever they have to do, they lend it out. So it becomes, it's almost like, um, it's almost like guys that are washing illegal money. This is exactly what the banks are doing. They're taking it and they're doing other things with it. And it's almost like they're washing it in a way. Okay, so we got $2.3 trillion in the US. Well, there's a thing called the Euro dollars and it doesn't, has nothing to do with the Euro Okay, euro dollars are dollars that are outside of America that come from America but outside of America, um, and it doesn't mean that they're only in Europe. It's just the term they use. They started using this term after World War II because after when World War II <clears throat> ended, America, the victor and the allies with the other in the the allied countries, um, we we were flush with cash. We um, saw an economic boom, so we had even more cash. So what did the United States government and the bankers start to do? They started 
sending money overseas, help rebuild parts of Europe, um, all different type programs, lending and everything. As soon as that money leaves the U.S. shores, it's now considered Euro dollars, right? And it's not, again, it's not just Europe. It goes to Eastern Europe. It goes to Central America, South America, Africa. It goes to Asia, all different parts of the, of the world. And it's all considered Euro dollars. Well, those dollars are no, are no longer under U.S. banking regulations and is no longer accounted for. This is the, the, the craziest thing. And you could Google it for yourself and educate yourself on it. So we, as the United States government, we know there's 2.3 trillion U.S. dollars in America. We don't even know how many dollars have gone outside, and we don't know how many euro dollars there are. You'll read estimates anywhere from six trillion, three times as much as what's in America, to over 57 trillion. Matter of fact, I know an economist who believes 57 trillion is nowhere near enough. But 57 trillion more than 57 trillion actually, but a little less than 58 trillion. The 57 trillion number is actually what most economists have come to agree upon. Okay, we, we do have others that think it's even higher. So that 57 trillion plus, again, not accounted for, plus the 2.3 trillion here, let's just call that 60 trillion. That's basically 60% of the $105 trillion global economy. Again, I said earlier, United States dollar is the world's reserve currency. Well, you can see if you got $105 trillion going around as a global economy and $60 trillion of it is transacted in dollars, obviously it is for sure uh, the, the, the world's reserve currency. So people... The, the reason I'm telling this is because there are, I love Bitcoin, right? I absolutely love Bitcoin. Major part of my portfolio going forward may, has been a part of my portfolio for years. It continues to grow. Um, big time supporter of it. I tell everybody about it. Um, I also believe in several other uh, blockchains that I have in my portfolio. Um, but I also believe in gold. And I also understand economics pretty well. But we've got many Bitcoin maxis. And I'm telling you this a day where Bitcoin's up even higher, uh, actually broke 44,000 today, which is awesome to see, right? But we have, there's many Bitcoin maxis out there. They go on, they either go on podcasts or they run podcasts. And they keep talking about America experiencing hyperinflation and that the dollar is going to completely collapse and go away. And I've been saying they have that wrong, right? I've been saying, look, the American economy not only has its bedrock, is a bedrock, the dollars, the bedrock of the global economy, but the U.S. military and the politicians, the U.S. military is extremely strong, and the U.S. politicians, they're not going to sit there and go, oh, yeah, okay, um, Bitcoin, you become the world's reserve currency. We're just going to give that up. And we're just going to let Bitcoin become the world's reserve currency. And I've been saying this for, for weeks in my podcast uh, that we've gone to war in, you know, the United States military has gone to war over 
much more than just dollars, right? So there's no way we stand by and, and idly and let Bitcoin just crush the U.S. dollar um, and, and the dollar is no longer used. Uh, they also, these Bitcoin maxis also talk about America having, that this inflation that has started is only the beginning and that we're going to have hype, what's called hyperinflation, which countries like Argentina are currently ex experiencing over 100% inflation. I don't think they co completely understand uh, economics and, and, they, and the euro, this euro dollar I'm talking about. I have put on Twitter a, a, a graphic um, that I actually borrowed from Santiago Capital on Twitter. You've think of think of a, a, a like a big um, pool, like a large pool of water, and that you that you look at from your standing, and you're like, "Wow, this is a big pool, like a hundred meter pool, right?" That's, that's a really big pool, and it's got all this water, and then underneath it, you could go underground, and you see a pipe, one pipe in the middle, and all that water is draining. And let's just say all that water is U.S. dollars, and it's draining, creating inflation. Well, it looks huge, right? Because we don't completely understand dollars. Now, you take the euro dollar... And that is a pool above that 100-meter pool. And that pool for the euro dollar is 25 times larger. So your 100-meter pool, I don't even know, it's 100 meters times 25, right? So that would be an enormous pool. You wouldn't even be able to see the end of the pool, right? Now think of that pool with a pipe above the 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 hundred meter pool, with a pipe coming one pipe coming out of the middle, draining, right, into the hundred meter pool. So you wouldn't see the ends of it. It's this, this enormous thing. So for, I'm not saying the United States is not going to experience inflation. We are experiencing it, but for us to experience hyperinflation. The world would have to experience hyperinflation before the United States, right? All that liquidity, all that euro dollars would have to have the hyperinflation first. It's just the way it's going to work because it's going to flow down into the American pool, which is a lot smaller, right? And then, then that would cause the hyperinflation. So the United States would be the last country on the planet to experience hyperinflation. And of course, if that was to happen, everything is you know gone. And then at that point, the, the Bitcoin maxis would be right. There would be no way of stopping it, right? Because all the other countries, they would be a, they would eventually abandon the U.S. dollar because they would be having this massive inflation, and they would be looking for alternative to the U.S. dollar. And they could possibly turn to gold. They could possibly turn to Bitcoin. I don't know what they would turn to or maybe something that doesn't even exist right now. They would turn to something else. And it certainly will not be the Chinese yuan or another dollar out there. What's happening, you see other countries now trying to do things where they to try to replace the U.S. dollar. But there's only 
so much that they'll, they will be able to do because there is so much U.S. dollars out there. The people, it's ingrained in people to use it. They clamor for it. You know, the people in China want the U.S. dollar, right? So, there, like I said, there are countries trying to turn the tide on the U.S. dollar. Um, they, they might have some success, but it'll be a very small um, success that they'll have. It'll be a, it'll remain a very small percentage. Um, so with that said, this whole thing about the U.S. dollar completely collapsing and the United States experiencing hyperinflation, and we'll have to run to the to Bitcoin as the Bitcoin maxi say. They don't understand. Um, it, it will not happen. It will certainly not happen in my lifetime. Probably not my children's lifetime. Could it happen? Sure. Um, the big some Bitcoin maxis are saying it. You know, it's it, it's gonna right around the corner. I just don't believe it. I would be completely shocked if that were to happen. And again, you'd have to see hyperinflation happening in Germany, in Japan, in England, you know, in France, in Italy, in here, in there. I mean, Brazil's got you know eight or nine percent inflation. It would be they would, you know, they would completely Colombia. These countries would be completely hyperinflated well before Europe and then and Japan and then Europe and Japan eventually would have the hyperinflation and then eventually America. So I don't see it happening anytime soon whatsoever. That's not to say I don't love Bitcoin. I absolutely do love it. And I'm saying this on a day where it's uh, crossed $44,000, which is just a beautiful thing to see. Um, we'll talk, talk, just touch briefly on treasury auctions. Um, as we talked about, uh, I think, in our last uh, space and podcast, treasury auctions are absolutely horrible. Um, and, and, and again, why, is, why are the treasury auctions horrible? As we said last time, a, a lot of um, China, Japan's the largest holder of United States debt. Um, China's second largest. You've got these countries needing to support their currency because their currency is... Um, again, the United States dollar is what people want, right? So you've got their currencies in these other countries becoming weaker against the U.S. dollar because the U.S. dollar is gaining momentum to the upside. And that is the hedge that you need, why you need to buy Bitcoin and gold. Because the U.S. dollar is becoming so strong, it's the complete opposite of what the Bitcoin maxis are saying. So what are these countries like Japan and China doing? They're selling, they, they need to raise capital to support their currency. So what do they do? They start to sell U.S. auction, the U.S., uh, excuse me, U.S. treasuries, and they no longer, they become net sellers of U.S. treasuries, the best way to do it. They still come and they still buy U.S. treasuries, but they're selling more than they're buying. It's called becoming a net seller. Um, so therefore, the U.S. treasury auctions are terrible. So what does the United States government need to do? The United States government needs to find buyers for their treasuries. And so they tell our major banks, you guys got to step up and buy more treasuries. You know, and they say, well, don't worry, you know, we'll support you. Um, and also the Treasury Department calls up the Fed and Fed tells the Fed, you need to buy some more of our treasuries because we're not selling enough to other countries. So the Fed says, okay, great. Well, you need, you know, where are we going to get the money from? And the treasurer says, well, we'll print it, right? So 
it's it's somewhat accelerated, but you've got the printing, and that's the money staying here in America, part of that two point three trillion. So it's staying in America. It's not leaving the borders. Some of it will eventually leave the borders over time, but initially it stays here. Um, but you have these other currencies falling against the U.S. dollar. So the U.S. dollar is actually rising, right? So again, you need to hedge yourself against that because eventually the inflation will become where it, the Fed will not be able to control the inflation and the inflation, they'll, they'll control it by continually having to raise rates and you have, it's not so much that the dollar is being, it's be, being debased because they're printing, but at the same time, the Fed has to try to stabilize, right? So we're not going to, I don't think we go back to zero bound without a financial crisis, as I said in the beginning. So therefore, the inflation will will rise, but it'll it's not going to go parabolic because you have the U.S. dollar rising in value, even though they keep printing. So it sort of counterbalances each other. Um, what could eventually happen is when these other countries completely give up, right, and stop trying to support and just their currencies just go completely flat, then if the United States dollar, be, it's, it's the world's reserve currency to a point of about 60%, if it becomes the only currency out there, right, that's when you could actually start to see the inflation really starting to skyrocket. And again, it's not going to happen, you know, overnight. It'll probably take 100, 150, 200 years. Could it be faster than that? Absolutely. You know, I, I don't, I don't completely, I don't, certainly don't know, but I don't think it happens anytime soon. Um, oh, uh, sticking with the economy. Uh, since we haven't done a podcast since before the holidays, uh, new home sales uh, for the month of October were absolutely horrible. Um, the new the home builders are seeing absolutely terrible numbers when it comes to uh, home sales. Uh, applications for for home buying, re regardless new or, or existing homes, the lowest since 1995. And the affordability index for um, homes is hasn't been this low since the 1980s. So you have a problem for sure in the housing market. Um, pockets that are remaining hot. Um, I think a lot of the housing market's frozen. People don't want to sell their existing homes. The new home builders have to try to sell homes, right? Because they keep building. Or if they, even if they've stopped building, they've got this massive inventory of homes that they've built that's no one buying. So if the, home, if the new home sales continue to completely cr get crushed, the home builders will be forced to continually lower, lower the prices of their homes. We've got home builders already have started to um, finance home buyers, right? So you can go to like um, Toll Brothers or whatever and... Instead of going to a bank, they'll they'll fund it because um, the home builders are flush with billions of dollars in cash. So that's what's helping the new homes uh, prices not completely go down with the with the, the the demand of it is being crushed, but the prices aren't going down so hard because the home builders can withstand for a certain period of time 
without having to lower the prices of homes. It's, I'm curious to see how it plays out over the next one to two years. Um, I, you know, I, I think what may happen is once the Fed starts to lower rates, we might get to the point where mortgage rates come back down to, you know, they're seven, three quarters percent or so. It might come back down to like five, five, five and a half, and we might get real estate agents calling up their prospective buyers and prospective sellers at the same time saying, hey, it's a great time to sell because mortgage rates have backed all the way down to five, five and a half percent, telling the buyers, great time to buy because mortgage rates have backed down to five, to try to spur activity. Um, and then you get, if they get the sellers getting hot to sell, you could get a, an influx of sellers. If the sellers overwhelm the buyers, then you'll see the housing market come down. I don't know how it's going to play out, but it'll be interesting. Um, going back to crypto, like I said, Bitcoin's over 44000 rocking and rolling. Uh, Ethereum, what, 21000 2200 bucks, rocking and rolling. Solana went from, you know, in a month or so, went from $20, $21 to $64, $65. Today it's like $61 or $62. Um, I'm a big believer in Bitcoin, big believer in Ethereum, and uh, becoming a more and more bigger believer of Solana. Um, if you listen to uh, Raul Paul uh, from the founder of Real Vision, ex Goldman Sachs guy, um, he's his biggest position is now Solana. Uh, his he was it was Bitcoin, then it became Ethereum, and just until recently, it uh, he, he just said it uh, yesterday or two days ago podcast that Solana is now his biggest biggest position, bigger than Ethereum. Um, and it's just for this next bull cycle, right? So, so the next two or three years. Um, and as long as Solana doesn't, you know, have problems with their blockchain, which they haven't had one, knock on wood, since February of last of this this year, actually. So almost a year now. Um, man, I they're doing some great things over there. More and more validators, you know, running nodes is over two thousand nodes. Um, all this stuff you hear of it not being decentralized is all a bunch of bullshit. Um, the the develop if you've looked if you've seen the conferences I didn't get to go but if you've seen the conferences the conferences are just packed with people absolutely packed with people. Um, uh, every, everything from developers you know to to just people that to love using it. Um, developers second most developers in crypto. Um, behind Ethereum, um, their their daily active users, uh, I guess it was a week or so ago, um, is now on par with Ethereum. Uh, it probably has passed it with the latest uh, data. I didn't get to look earlier today. Um, liquidity on decentralized exchanges in the month of November absolutely exploded on uh, Solana. You know, you 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 went from liquidity on on dexes you know four or five hundred million dollars uh you know every month for the past year or so to over seven billion dollars in the, in the month of uh november um which is just an enormous explosion so you've got massive liquidity on the dexes uh it's just there's so many there's so much good things happening on salon it's really piqued my interest um i, I don't think it'll become a bigger piece than my ethereum Bitcoin's my largest, Ethereum's my second, Solana's my third, but uh, I'm re I've reduced my Ethereum a little bit, increased my Solana a little bit, and kind of reduced some of the others. 
Um, you know, I've got a few others in there. Uh, I just, I use Solana every day, right? I find myself using it every day. I, you know, um, I don't find myself using Bitcoin every day. You know, the Lightning Network is great and all, but it has its limitations. Um, I don't find myself using Ethereum every day. I have those as a part of my portfolio, but with Solana, I find myself using it every day, right? I trade on it every day. I uh, do AMMs where I'm a market maker every single day, adding liquidity to, to markets. I stake it, right? So I earn yield from it. Um, it's just so much is being built right now. It's mind-blowing what's going to be built on Solana in five years from now. Probably is not even being thought of yet. Whatever application you could think of doing, whether it's a game or whatever, you could actually do it on Solana. I mean, it is, it, it is, it, I'm telling you, it's freaking awesome. Um, you've, we've got, there are people that were, there are a few Ethereum people that were like, I don't know if you want to call them Ethereum maxis, but they were really believers in Ethereum and their level two stuff that have given Solana a, a second look. Matter of fact, the guys at Bankless, the probably the largest podcast in all of crypto, um, they've been doing episodes on Solana a week or so ago. They had, I guess, in the month of November, they had two or three episodes uh, concentrating on Solana, which you know I, I found so to myself. I was surprised, but I was intrigued to what they had to say. And it, there weren't episodes where they were bashing it. There were episodes that they were actually, you know. Looking at it, matter of fact, one of the hosts of it, like, um, I don't remember which one, David, I think, he was happened to be near where the Solana Breakpoint conference was in Amsterdam. He went. He went to it. It's the first conference, the first non-Ethereum conference he ever attended to. And he even admits it. He says it. He talks about it. And he, he said it had such an Apple feel to it. Um, just the way it was held. It was exciting, he said. Um, and, and he was very intrigued by it. So I think it's great, right? So, you know, as any investor or, uh, financial advisor would always tell you, don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? Of course not. Um, and why not? If Solana can fill a need that Ethereum's not filling with, with its layer twos, because transactions are only going to be so cheap and so fast. Where Solana, it's proven. They did, uh, one day in November, they did 50 times the amount of transactions they did on Ethereum in a single day. And yes, a lot of it's votes, right? The, the votes. But 50 times, 50x. And guess what? The fees still well under a dollar, right? So if Solana can fill a need for the average person to you to onboard into crypto because it's a layer one, you don't have to jump through all these hoops, you download a wallet, bang, and you're using it, right? It's so simple. And if it's going to become even more simple as time goes by. So if we can onboard the next billion people through Solana, that's great for crypto because those people are not going to just stop at Solana. They're going to say, oh, well, What's this Bitcoin and what's this Ethereum? You know, everyone has already heard of Bitcoin. Many people don't know about Ethereum, but they're going to once they they go they onboard into Solana because of its ease and they see the speed and that they could use it every single day. They're also going to discover 
well, we can do investing here and, well, let's buy some Bitcoin, let's buy some Ethereum as investment vehicles, right? Um, even real world assets like bonds and token, you, you've got Larry Fink. I, I hate to be all over the place, but you have Larry Fink from BlackRock. I reposted the video on um, Instagram. He's saying the next big thing is tokenization. Well, they're not going to tokenize stocks and bonds on Bitcoin's blockchain. Can't be done, right? They, they, uh, there might be a layer two built. That's going to be years from now. Forget about it. They've already started doing it on Ethereum because of the security of Ethereum. And eventually, they, eventually they're going to start doing it on Solana. Once Solana proves its security and its stability, they will, these uh, asset managers will also tokenize assets on Solana's blockchain. Right now, you know, if they're throwing around $100 million of bonds, $50 million of bonds, for them to pay the fee on Ethereum, no big deal, right? You pay a few dollars fee. It's instant settlement, fast, right? Um, but... They, you're not going to tokenize, you know, you're not going to tokenize General Motors stock and put it on Ethereum for the average person to trade it, right? Because that's what Larry Fink wants to do because the fees are going to be too high, right? There, there are times where fees could be $15, $20, $25, $30, $50. Why would you do that when you could just go to E-Trade and pay, you know, $9.99 and, and trade your General Motors stock, right? So, but... As long as Solana shows the stability and and um, its speed and low cost, now you could tokenize General Motors stock for the average person. And that's what Larry Fink is saying. He knows right now it's the institutions that are going to be doing it, and they're going to do it on Ethereum. But I know he's not a stupid man, and he's eyeing Solana to tokenize stocks for the average person. And it's not going to happen today or tomorrow, it's, but it will happen uh, in, in the coming years, for sure. Instant settlement, boom. You know everything is right on the blockchain. You can see what wallets own it and who, who owns it. And verifiable. And it's, it is the wave of the future, as he said. Well, let me wrap it up. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, like I always say, no, one, no man should have the authority to create a money for free that another man has to work for. God bless and have fun.